Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Thank you everyone for joining us today. And today I am speaking with Mohammed Al-Bahar, who lives in Kuwait. Mohammed has been living with type 1 diabetes for 35 years. He is the founder of the Diabetes Ambassadors Program, as well as a trustee of the League of Diathletes. He is also an ASICS frontrunner ambassador and a sports enthusiast. He's a TEDx Kuwait speaker and also known as the diabetic traveler in social media. And you can find him doing other sports such as weightlifting, endurance, and strength. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mohammed. Thank you for coming to um, the podcast and let's get started. So why don't you start by just sharing with us um, kind of your, your diagnosis story um, and how it was growing up with diabetes. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, hosting me in this uh, podcast. Uh, and it's really interesting to be in connection with you, Pamela. You're uh, simply doing an amazing job regarding diabetes advocacy and what the right terminologies to use with people living with diabetes. Not a lot of people in certain regions do focus on the right and proper uh, vocabulary with people living with diabetes. So uh, it's surely going to be a different experience and a wonderful one. Um, I was diagnosed when I was two years old. Uh, at that time, I don't recall any kind of a memory that uh, what is diabetes and the early symptoms. But my parents actually noticed that I was very, very thin. Uh, even underwears were not um, fitting my waistline. So um, they took me to the doctor and um, the doctor actually mentioned that I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That was in 1985. At that time, there wasn't a lot of people, number of people diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, usually type 2, but not as common as these days with, with, with the bigger number of percentages of people living with type 1 diabetes. And then I... I started to uh, realize uh, that I'm living with a certain condition when I was four years old. When I when I had to eat certain type of food, I had to uh, take into uh, consideration urinating because at that time, uh, technologies were not available everywhere. Like uh, usually when checking my, my urine is actually knowing the colors. If it was blue, uh, green, it was high. If it was yellow, it was, it was in regular... Uh, or the required range. And blood testing devices were very expensive at that time, usually. Uh, and they're very huge. They would be very big, like a brick. That's how the diameter of the device would be. And it will take uh, one minute to count down for the number of the reading. It wasn't flexible. There wasn't card counting. There wasn't CGMs at that time. There wasn't flash um, uh, monitoring devices, like flash, flash sensors, like... Uh, those kind of new technologies at these days. Um, there wasn't, and also the insulin, the mixed start and the uh, fast acting and slow acting insulin were used to be mixed. They were not together. You have to mix them by yourself, uh, which was also a hassle. There were no, there were no pens. There were uh, no uh, fryo uh, cooling wallets. There was like you were supposed to take the um, cooling boxes with you when you travel with plenty of ice. And it was it was a hassle. I do I do recall it was a hassle. And I I when I go to school I had um, uh, actually a, a housekeeper with me. I had to to, to have a house assistant uh, with me that used to take me to the toilet and 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 
And when I used, one of the issues is actually when I used to see kids eating chocolate, I would crave for chocolate. I was not the kind of a kid who would not eat the chocolate. Like we had a, a corridor and the corridor is L-shaped. So the fridge, they used to close it in our house and there was chocolates and juices and stuff. And I was a very sneaky kid. I used to go there and open the fridge and eat it and hide the gap in the box of juices and the box of chocolates so they wouldn't see there's something missing. And then not the case only that. The case is also I used to take the um, the paper of the chocolate and I put insert it inside the Coke, the Coca-Cola can and throw it in because they will check behind my back. It was like a Mission Impossible thing. The juice, which is a box, I used to spread it and put it in the book. And when I go to school, I throw it out. So I, I was very good in, in hiding my my the evidence of what I have done. But um, at the same time, I, I was I was not meeting any person living with type 1 diabetes till I was seven. My twin got diagnosed with type, type 1 diabetes when he was seven years old. But we never spoke about it. We didn't discuss it, like taking the injection, eating this kind of food and so on. It wasn't, uh, let's say, opening... Um, the the chapter and understanding what kind of diabetes is it it's actually accepting it in the beginning to be able to have a s- smooth sailing although smooth sailing is not considered to be a very proper terminology for people living with diabetes right so, so how many times yeah. a day so when you were younger and you have all these supplies and everything and it's like the size of a brick and it takes a long time how many times a day then were you able to really check your blood sugar Usually, uh, we would check it maybe twice or three times a day. Some, some depends on the availability of these strips because usually uh, we would, when we travel in summer, we bring some strips. Uh, and if they were available here, they would be very expensive. And the injections, usually, uh, we have the mixed start when I was like around 10, 11, mixed start. Um, in the which is 70% low acting insulin and 30% fast acting insulin. Uh, in the morning uh, at 7, and you had to have it at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Uh, you should have it exactly at the same timing. Um, you have the fast-acting insulin before lunch. And the mixed of course, had a lot of effect of having the drop of the blood sugar uh, after two to three hours, which caused uh, hypos frequently. Right. And then when your twin brother was diagnosed at 7, did that... How did you feel about that? Did that bring you any kind of, I don't want to use the word relief, but kind of relief because then you weren't the only one or did you go through any kind of resentment? Like, why, why do I have this and he doesn't have it? And then did it, did it change the way that you saw diabetes? Actually, um, when I was the one who diagnosed my twin with type one diabetes, uh, I had the symptoms, I've seen the symptoms and so on. And I mentioned it to all my parents. Um, I wasn't happy that he was diagnosed. Uh, I knew that he had a lot of hassle that he has to carry on on his shoulders. It's not a condition that is easily managed. It's not a condition at that time I was accepting. It took me a very long time to accept diabetes. Um, Because also at the same time, we didn't have the opportunity to speak about diabetes. We uh, we are indirectly uh, addressed by my father that diabetes is like a burden. Sometimes parents, when they show kind of empathy or they try to show empathy in a way, they can misjudge uh, and they can use improper terminologies that has 
a different impact in it. Like uh, that's why when you use wordings with people living with diabetes, you have to be very precise. You have to be very eloquent in the way of dressing things. It's not related to sensitivity. It's not related that you we are sensitive people. It's related that how you accept yourself and how you address it on others. That's very much important. You cannot come and say to someone living with diabetes, "Oh, don't eat that. That's chocolate. Be careful. You're gonna you're gonna." Um, you're going to have low blood sugar or high blood sugar and you have no idea about what type of diabetes is, type 1 diabetes is. Or, uh, oh, you're going to have complications when you grow older, which, are you going to have kids? Are you going to have kids? Or can you do that? Can you exercise in this way? Can you do this? So a lot of people who work in certain professional fields like uh, um, trainers, maybe doctors as well, lack the way of communicating with, with, with patients and their parents and use the proper wordings as well. That's so true. I think in the future, we might do an episode about that. I have a presentation that I've made a few times to some doctors. And one of the slides is about conversations and the comments. And almost every time that I've gone through the highlights, at least a few of them are in tears because they're shocked. And I'll tell you the story of one incident my son had in a very good diabetes center And he was about around age seven or so, I would say. And still he was a little bit, how shall I say, had some anxiety and stress around getting the annual blood check for a thyroid and everything else. Now it's no big deal. He goes in and sticks his arm out and he's fine. But of course, for a small child to get a blood test, it's a huge deal. Sometimes you can't find the veins. They still have a lot of fat on their their bodies and the veins are hiding under there. So he's crying as I explained to him, we have to go to the lab and we we have to check because usually we were doing we were doing it longer than a year. The doctor said he's been fine unless you see some symptoms because it's so stressful for him. Um, so we were going walking to the lab that day and a nurse educator, a diabetes nurse educator who deals with children every day turned to him and said, what's wrong with you? Are you a baby? Mm-hmm. To this day, he still tells that story. And that day he made the decision he did not want to go back there. So language is extremely important. And you carry those moments with you. Like, I'm sure you remember those things people were saying to you from the time you were very young. You remember that and you still feel that throughout your life. I remember once I had an incident with a math teacher. That's, I think, one of the reasons I hated math. I wasn't like bad in math. I'm good in math. I can use my fingers as a calculator in a way. But I had a very uh, unsettling experience with my, in elementary school, I was seven years old after the first Gulf War. And we, they had to merge two, um, two elementary levels together so we can go to the next level um, because there was no school for about um, 11 months uh, because of the, the, the invasion that occurred in 1990. And, and lasted till February 2000, uh, 1991. So I was having a, a hypo at that moment, and I didn't realize that. And usually when you have a hypo, everything gets jammed, everything gets frozen. You cannot react in a way. You have lack of uh, reaction because of the, um, the the weight and the heaviness of, of, of the hypo. It depends on the severity of it. And she was addressing a question to me, and I couldn't answer it. I had the, the response in my head, but I couldn't speak up. I had a very heavy tongue to, to, to address that. And she told me, uh, tomorrow I will need to see your mom. It's urgent. And when my mom came to the school, she told her that your son should be in a special needs um, kids with disability school. He shouldn't be 
in a school for uh, uh, regular kids uh, because I have very difficult issue to uh, to uh, educate him. He's an idiot, and I don't want to teach him. So at that moment, I really hated math. Uh, I hated the math the math topic. Can you imagine? It it also affected me getting better uh, levels and, and, and better results in, in math. Uh, but now. Lately, I started to accept it. I started to be in good terms with it. And that remained with me for a very long time. It remained with me till I was 32, 33. And that affected me a lot uh, because she was scolding me and shouting in front of other kids. And I didn't find that. um, I think this is one of the blocks that uh, allowed me to have um, disagreements and acceptance for diabetes. I... In that moment, I started to realize that maybe diabetes is a burden and maybe diabetes will cause a lot of difficulty in my life uh, from that incident. Mm. Yeah. For those of you listening, you can't see me, but my mouth like dropped open when you told me what the teacher said. Mm -hmm. It is so important that people working in schools, teachers, administrators, school nurses, that everyone understands this topic. They don't have to be experts, but And even to say that to a child, no matter what the condition is, or even if a child doesn't have a condition, no one should be speaking to a child like that. And then that that's just heartbreaking. So then looking ahead. So after school and after that time, um, can you kind of take us through any other challenges? And then when did you get to the point in your life that you didn't believe what that teacher told you anymore? I will go before that. When I went through depression, I had very good uh, bondedness with my, um, uh, very good bond with my diabetes doctor, um, pediatric. She was a very um, well-educated doctor. She was uh, very much caring, nurturing. She had the the mother figure in her. And uh, in 1996, she wanted to go back to her country because her husband was sick and she needed to eat him and so on. And at that instant moment is the shift between uh, pediatric and adults uh, doctor. So I didn't find the right doctor that will understand um, my needs as a person living with diabetes. They were just addressing this. If you do this, you will have complications. Your blood sugar is not in the range. Then you're not doing a good job. It's based on judgments, based on do this, don't do that, do this and don't do that. There was no conversation. So I said, why should I go to the doctor anyways? I know the diabetes um, routine and I should um, I should handle it by myself, which was a wrong decision, of course, because always there is new technologies, new information, new updates, um, and a lot of new things coming um, uh, out because the research is always constant. Um, then I started to go up. Of course, I, I, I had frequent hypos or frequent hypers, but hypos were the most triggering thing that happened with me, uh, which affected me in certain levels in sports. It affected me also when I had an exam. Uh, but also I was accepted to medical school. Then I transferred to business school. I was an A student. Uh, I didn't want to use diabetes as a burden. I didn't want to use diabetes as a way of holding me back. And I was doing it as if I was challenging diabetes. I was doing it as if I'm telling myself, I don't have diabetes. I can do everything in a very be- proper way, in a better way, without mentioning diabetes, I used to prick my, I, I, I ignored pricking my fingers. I used to do that um, sometimes, depends, 
but not regularly. I take my injections regularly. I wouldn't skip my injections, uh, but I didn't accept it. I didn't come and accept it and take my injection in front of people or in public places, especially during puberty, because you want to get accepted with others. Uh, well, that's one of the reasons. I wasn't accepting diabetes, to be honest, at that moment. I was not accepting it at all. And that caused a huge burden to understand myself. That was a huge block for me knowing who I am. Uh, so getting back to your question, in, two in 2011, I went to uh, a severe coma. Uh, diabetes uh, hypocoma, hypoglycemia coma. And I, 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 I had um, a very uh, near-death experience. And when I woke up, I, I realized that I was not the same person who I, who I am. And I said, this is not a way of living as a person who is in 28 years old. I need to be in charge of my diabetes. I need to be in control of my diabetes because if I was not in control of it, it will be in control of my life. And I don't want that. I want to be the, let's say, the master of the story or the hero of my story. Everyone should own their life and own their story. So at the end of 2011, I I want to draw. I want to draw a, a motorcycle, which I never have the opportunity to. Mm. And I, actually, the guy, and I, I wanted to sell it. And I sold it to a guy who works in one of the uh, advanced um, healthcare providers uh, in Kuwait. So uh, I said, can I have a tour? Is it possible to have a tour in your premises and see around the, the technologies and the, all the stuff you're doing? He said, yeah, definitely sure. So I went to in a, in a tour and I passed by the office and I saw actually the name of a doctor that uh, rings a bell at the pediatric. I said, oh, definitely it's, uh, it's something. Uh, the doctor has a similar name. Not, it can't be the same person. When I entered the office and I saw her there, it was actually my doctor, my pediatrist, and and I hugged her and I was in tears. I was very much into severe depression, and she only told me that one word is everything is going to be fine. Like don't worry about it, and things will be fine. And that actually triggered me to be more keen and interested to take charge of my diabetes. She said, "Can you pass by?" It was on Thursday. So she said, "Can you pass by on Sunday because our weekends are on Fridays and Saturdays." So I said, yeah, definitely I can come on Sunday. So to do the HbA1c and check my blood sugar levels. And and then it was 5.8, which was not um, considered to have frequent hypos. Mm -hmm. Usually in that clinic, they wanted to be between six and seven. And she, she said, how about having a, a course, training course, uh, pre of charge it's called Daphne Dose Adjustment for Normal Eating, that you will meet other people living with diabetes. And at the same time, you will be learning new um, stuff about diabetes, carb counting, sick days, sports, and all those kind of stuff. What was really interesting about it wasn't only the education, it was meeting other people living with diabetes, that you'd see someone who has diabetes very much in range, I wouldn't say all the time in range. Uh, you see people who are having hypers, having frequent hypos, who are people who sometimes check and don't check. And that actually, and they are very much close to your age, either elder or either younger and at that moment it was the first group of people living with diabetes who's still in touch Daphne group uh, number 14 were number 14 oh that's we were uh, was that the we first time since you were young that you had yeah. met other type ones and you really yeah. didn't meet any before yeah. then yeah wow yeah so uh it was three young ladies and two guys so um 
three three guys and then four and three young so we were seven we were we were seven it was five days a week um uh, from five to nine uh, p.m and they also take you to a restaurant based on your um, your choice uh to do the car counting and so on and then said wow there is a lot of advancement that happened i i was on nova rapid at that time i shifted from mixed start to nova rapid and the uh, uh the um the Atlantis. Uh, of course, it took me four years since the training course to have better results. I was to have frequent hypos. I wasn't able to exercise. When I exercise, I have hypo in the exercise. And it, it, you feel like your life was on a pause, like things are on a pause. And having frequent hypos will, will definitely have an impact on your uh, brain um, functions in the future. So uh, that is very much important to take care of your blood sugar levels and to have it as much as possible within the required range. Um, and then I started to believe that I, I, I started to read, I started to be uh, more responsible. And then I started to work in one of the um, diabetes nonprofit organizations. Um, then I, I, I felt that everything in my life was on a pause, but working with diabetes was the only thing that processing in, in life. I met other people. I, I, I actually um, participated in global training programs for people living with diabetes. Then I started um, to to attend those programs. One was in, in Melbourne, which is Young Leaders in Diabetes in, uh, by IDF, International Diabetes Federation. And, and uh, the first program I attended was in Melbourne in 2013, then to, 2015 in Vancouver. And then um, the last one was in Abu Dhabi in 2000. The one I attended, of course, in 2017, uh, I, I attended as a speaker. Also, in, also oh. in Vancouver, I was a speaker as well. I spoke about diabetes discrimination towards people living with type one and type two. Um, then I started to be very much into the the, the diabetes uh, patient scene and talking about um, the topics and the things that us as people living with diabetes need to focus on and empowering people living with diabetes. And and in that process, I started to accept diabetes. In that process, I started to understand that. You cannot help others if you don't help yourself. You cannot lift others. You cannot tell someone, do this and do that, but you're not doing that. Live as an example. Don't come and address people because people don't like to be addressed. If they come and ask you, try to be helpful as possible. And then I started to, um, also when I exercise now, I have, I wouldn't say I don't have high foot before exercise. That happens once a month, once every two months. Uh, when I change my food uh, regimen or I have a different nutrition program or maybe a stressful day at work, that could happen. But mainly I would have a great uh, workout experience because I do weightlifting and I do cardio, um, which uh, has an impact. And usually now, even when after I exercise, I never have blood sugar, let's say five, six, seven after exercise because because of the weightlifting but i added the cardio and i start to have six seven five after the workout millimoles uh, which is not an easy task to have it's, it's very difficult but when you add like 30 minutes or 20 minutes of cardio you will be uh, going back to the required uh, range and um, since then i started to be very much keen and interested about my health and respecting my body as my body is my temple nice and now a word from our sponsor. Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast is brought to you by the Diapoint shop. Diapoint is a place for people touched by diabetes. We support people through 
education, events, services, and advocacy, as well as with beautiful diabetes accessories sold in the D-Shop. Visit diapointshop.com to see all of the wonderful, useful things that we have to support you in your health, wellness, and diabetes. We offer the highest quality possible and have tried or regularly use most of the items in the shop ourselves. Check out www.diapointshop.com now to get the latest in health, wellness, and accessories. And now back to the show. For, I mean, type one is really difficult. Hypos are, it's not a matter of if, but when. I think you, from what I know and all the type ones that I've got to meet, hypos, they're not a way of life, but they they happen. And like you said, the smallest change, things things can happen. What is your advice, let's say top three or five or what have you, that you would give to someone living with diabetes? I would say the most important thing is diabetes is part of you. It's not the whole picture of you. It's like a trait or um, a pattern you have or um, let's say um, part of you. Um, It's not the whole picture of you. Uh, so don't look at yourself as a person living with diabetes. Look at yourself as who you are and what you are. That's number one. Number two is accepting it. Because once you accept it, you will be able to overcome a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles. Either it was education, either it was in relationships, either it was in in sports, uh, achieving uh, whatever you want to achieve. Uh, goals, objectives, career-wise, and so on. Um, the third advice I would say is you do your best on a daily basis. So don't go hard on yourself. You do your best uh, checking your blood sugar. You do your best uh, taking your injections, uh, changing the sites, uh, insertion. When If you're using a pump, you're going to the doctor. So don't stress about diabetes and forget living life. Don't stress about diabetes and you don't travel and explore the world and meet other people, experience food. Of course, you have to be moderate. Sometimes we all have cheat meals. But yesterday I went out with a friend and he wanted to have KFC. And I said, I'm not going to have KFC. I didn't have it since 2006. Uh, I will have something. So I had um, I had a pastrami um, and I had the sweet potatoes and I had the kale salad. That's how now I cannot accept those kind of type of food because I work so hard during the week, uh, exercising and working my, my, an athlete. You're an athlete. So, and what I, what I noticed with my son too, and I mean, maybe this is, I'm not an extreme mom. I'm like everything in moderation because you're surrounded by kids with parties, but I don't think my son's ever had KFC. He's like, so curious. He's tasted his fair share of fast food and junk food. But I find that when he does eat it and then he's like, oh, I don't feel well. I'm like, so I try to make him aware. And I guess I imagine because you as an athlete eating KFC and other things, now it's a real shock to your body. Um, so maybe you're not feeling your best if you if you eat KFC. It messes or, things up. No, and, and no, yeah. um, what, what can I say? This is not to say anything negative about KFC, <laughs> um, you know, or any fast food, but it it can be more difficult to digest. 
It can be. And also the you have that you feel the sensation of lobe, then after four hours, three hours, you feel your blood uh, sugars are hitting the roof. So it's it's not settling experience. Even for people who are not living with diabetes, it wasn't settling experience for my friend as well. And I said, because you have a drop of your blood sugar, then you have the blood sugar going up. So so I don't want to have feeling those kind of sensations. Like weekends, I'm supposed to have fun, not over uh, stressing about my diabetes. Also, when you live with their diabetes is take a day off or take, doesn't mean take a day off is not taking your blood sugar uh, and uh, you're taking your insulin or not checking blood sugar, but don't overthink about it. Don't make it uh, a way of blocking you living to live life to the fullest. Enjoy life because it's 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 there. It's always going to be there. But also you have the, the, the right to be happy and to enjoy the moment as well. Traveling or having certain events, getting married, being in a relationship, having a first child, all those graduating. So don't let it be a burden for you. It's going to be there till there is a cure, hopefully. But don't stress about it. That's the, the advice I would also give myself uh, because sometimes we do forget with all the stress and the hassles we have with life and diabetes and you know is just let it be i think that's excellent advice and i would say the same thing to any parents of children with diabetes and the same for people with type 2 diabetes like nobody wants to have diabetes in their life but once you acknowledge it accept it and then say, okay, I'm going to deal with it. Then I, I agree. It, it does get, get easier for sure. And if someone is say anyone out there listening right now and they're struggling with it and maybe they're feeling burnout or similar, similarly, but not the same, maybe newly diagnosed, they're feeling overwhelmed and they don't really know quite how to overcome that. What would you suggest? Ask for help. Um, ask for help. If you have um, a sibling you trust, if you have a parent, you you can speak about your diabetes freely without feeling you are being restricted or you're being hushed down or so on. You have to speak about it. You have to ask for help because we all need someone to help us. Your healthcare professionals, if you have a good bond bondness between your healthcare professionals, let's say diabetes nurse educator, uh, diabetologist, your diabetes doctor. It's very much important also when you, you as a person living with diabetes, is you have this uh, communication, uh, healthy communication with your uh, healthcare professionals. If you didn't feel your doctor is understanding, your diabetes educator is understanding, you have the right to choose who you feel comfortable with because you will be dealing with them on a regular basis. Um, diabetes burnout is not um, something to be avoided. It's not something that you should ignore. It it has um, can have extreme side effects to it. Um, talk about it, discuss it. Uh, don't feel ashamed about it. We all go through diabetes burnout in one phase or the other in our life as people living with this chronic condition. Wonderful. Yes, I agree. And. The good news now, what I've seen in the region is there are more professionals that can support from everything from endocrinologists to psychologists to psychiatrists. Um, 
coaches and it's about, you know, finding someone that you trust, like Mohammed said, and finding the right one, definitely ask for help because you are certainly not alone. There are millions of people out there living with diabetes, although no two are ever alike. Um, but please ask for help if, if you're, you're struggling. Um, now I want to make a shift to some of the exciting things that you've been doing the last few years. Um, and one of those is becoming a ASICS athlete. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I was, um, I was really, um, uh, in an awe in the, in 20, in the early uh, months of 2021, I had, the an ASIC uh, representative from UAE. Uh, he's actually South African. He said, um, I'm actually uh, ASIC's representative and I want you uh, to be part of the ASIC's family frontrunner. And I was, I, I thought it was a spam. You know, you get those kind of messages oh, yeah. that you can be. <laughs> and I wasn't like, I, I said, I said, okay, but this one seems like ASIC's and I always loved ASIC's when I was young and I find them comfortable. And, and then I said, Mm, that's interesting, but I'm not sure he's he's actually a person to be credible or not. And then I said, can we have a meeting? I said, yeah, definitely we can have a meeting. And we settled the meeting like the next day. And he was serious. Like I saw a lot of boxes of ASICs behind him and he was in the office and because he didn't have a Wi-Fi in his apartment. And I said, oh, okay, now I understand. I, I think in the beginning he thought that I was... Um, cocky in a way i was uh, up uptight and i was a little bit stiff but because you get those spams all the time and you don't know who's saying the truth so uh he said yeah i said i'm actually not a runner like i wouldn't consider myself a great runner and he said actually a6 we are not considering someone to run 25 21k or 45k even if you're running 5k you are considered to be a runner and which is true if you're doing cardio you're considered to be a runner if you're doing 5K or doing 2K or doing it in a certain pace, you are considered, even moms, they can, they are runners when they go with their kids and using the um, trolleys and so on, mm -hmm. they are runners. But we go so hard and judging ourselves because we have to, because all the tabloids and the ad, ads you see, they have to be very fit and they have to be very, uh, in a certain body type and thus. But actually when you're running three to four days a week or maybe twice a week, you are a runner you are doing running and so on. If something you practice it for three years, and I read it in one of the books, you are, or you're practicing it for three years, you become professional in it. So mm -hmm. uh, I said, yes. And he said, actually, because you're a person living with diabetes, we wanted to focus on that. We wanted to focus on uh, this uh, segment of the society that actually lack uh, exercising and think exercising can impact them in a negative way. And we want it to be that. So diabetes has opened a lot of doors to me. I would be, I'm very grateful for all the stuff that it has thrown in, in my path, the difficulties, but I'm also very much um, happy about the things that I have done with diabetes because maybe without diabetes, I wouldn't be very active and I wouldn't have met people around the world uh, living with diabetes or parents of kids living with diabetes, which is, I think it's a very rare um very rare um, thing to have, you know. Uh, you feel everyone understands you, you understand your hassles, understands the obstacles and understands the, the, the need of change in the whole healthcare spectrum and the culture spectrum about 
being healthy and being active and being uh, more aware of yourself. Because without diabetes, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be accepting. I wouldn't be uh, self-loving. And I wouldn't be uh, aware about my body and aware of what I'm eating and how it's going to impact me in the future or in the in the moment of having a high or low blood sugar. So that's very much important. I like that perspective. Um, that's great. And I love the story about ASICs that you thought it was spam. And I love their definition of a runner. So I'm feeling much more fit and better right now about myself as well. But I love that ASICs, if you're out there listening, thank you for focusing on people with diabetes. It's so important. Um, because I feel like there's still a long way to go in the general public everywhere around the world, that there's a lot of shame and blame on people who have diabetes and there really shouldn't be. And I often use the analogy, Mohammed and I were, were doing this video call as well. We're both wearing glasses and nobody's shaming and blaming us because we need glasses. But if, you know, sometimes people hear of someone or see someone with diabetes and then goes the shame and blame and that, there's just no need to do that. So thank you, ASICs, for really reaching out to Mohammed and others like him um, because it's it's a condition that can be managed and for sure exercise does help. So I think you picked a great ambassador for that too. Well done, ASICs. Um, can you also tell us about your work the, in the um, founding of the Diabetes Ambassadors Program? Yeah, uh, Diabetes Ambassadors Program is actually when I, I participated in the first Young Leaders in Diabetes Program, you have to go back and have your own project. So um, it was established in January 2014, 2014. And mainly it started in schools. Mainly it was um, a presentation uh, actually also uh, addressed and supervised by, uh, by my diabetologist. She had to go and review it, the, you know, the definitions and stuff like that. It has to be very accurate. And we covered up 32 uh, schools, uh, nonprofit organizations, workplaces um, to educate about type 1 diabetes and the difference between type 1, type 2, hypos, hypers, early symptoms of diabetes, medical uh, IDs, why is it important? Um, and then we, we, we started to, have to grow. Like we had our first uh, marathon, uh, in 2018, uh, we also uh, participate with nonprofit organizations to for incident access, as well as we have drafted um, uh, uh, regulations uh, document for the rights of people living with diabetes. But it wasn't passed by the government because the last parliament was has has ended, and the new parliament and you know the all the political issues and stuff like that. But it is very comprehensive. Um, uh, terms of reference and um, laws and regulations for the rights of people living with diabetes, accessibility to insulin, uh, new technologies, uh, healthcare, and the uh, mental health. Parents, parents sometimes uh, need to have two extra hours of uh, work or two extra hours in the beginning of the day or the end of the day because they need to take their kids to the hospital or they need to assist them when they have hypos. So it's also a burden on the family. And diabetes impact the whole family. It doesn't just impact the person living with it. Um, so diabetes ambassador program is also during COVID. We had uh, live sessions. We had um, we also do workshops for teenagers and adults and parents, which which parents was a huge success as well uh, as well as teenagers. And we also 
include uh, activities about education and about sports and all those necessary stuff. And we did a one workshop for sports who are as interested in sports. Hopefully soon when I have the fa- time to finish the materials to have the advanced one for different types of sports, uh, running, um, uh, swimming and, and, and weightlifting because every topic is a huge major uh, thing to be focused on. They're very different. I would love to attend that just so I can teach sure. my son to manage. <laughs> like sure. He's into basketball. Last year, he did a little bit of swimming when that opened up. And then sometimes after basketball, it'll spike, but it's, you know, it's aerobic and anaerobic at the same time. So finding those details and really understanding it, there's a lot of studies and books and things out there, but that's, it's one thing. But if you actually go to a workshop, um, that would be amazing. Um, Wonderful. And so I think this concludes our time together now, but I would love for you to come back in the future and talk to us about some of the other things you're working on and other topics, because I know we could talk about this all day. Um, It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Every time I listen to your story, even though I've heard it before, I still learn new things. Um, It's, I still get incredibly motivated and makes me very optimistic for the future of people with diabetes. Um, Just before we go, I want to ask you, what is your favorite food? People love people, all walks of life. Everybody loves food. If I'm talking about food or if there's a post about food, we get more engagement on everything about food. It can be a low carb food. It can be a healthy food or maybe a not so healthy food. Tell me and your favorites. <laughs> I, I would say if not healthy, I would say definitely burgers. I love burgers. Uh, burgers. Wait, Even simply, my, I'm good. Okay. Tasty. I'm going to send my son to Kuwait so you guys can hang out. He wants yeah. to go try every burger around the world. And yeah. You, you I'll take him to the best ones and healthy ones. Uh, oh, he, I'll, he I'll would love that. You, you, well, he'll eat the, the unhealthy ones too. You guys can be best friends. And healthy food, I would usually say, um, I like Scandinavian food, to be honest with you. It's healthy. Um, it's it's light, but also you feel, and I love, I, I would eat breakfast the whole day. Like I would eat eggs and eggs and let's say, uh, eggs and vegetables the the whole day. Uh, I don't mind eating breakfast (laughs) the whole time. Turkish breakfast is the way to go in in our house. Yeah. Yeah, Breakfast all day. Wonderful. Do you listen to music when you exercise? Yes. I have a playlist. Um, I can send it to you. Uh, I use the Anrami application. So uh, I have a playlist. Um, If I have a personal trainer, usually no, but uh, I have a playlist for running, a playlist for hard workouts. Um, I have night drive playlist as well. It's not, not the common music that you'd listen to. Sometimes I listen to certain unfamiliar artists and I, I really like it. I like the lyrics and I like the, uh, the, 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 um, music. Uh, yeah, I would, I would add it to the list. Cool. Is it more Arabic or is it more Western or kind of? A no, mix? it's more Western. It's more mm-hmm. Western. I listen to Arabic, but not a lot of like, singers do attract uh, my ears to listen to like there are certain ones that still remain Mm. good ones but um, it doesn't matter to me about the nationality or the language the most important thing is the lyrics and the type of music you know we we have different um, taste in music in the morning and the afternoon and, and 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 you know but lately lately I've been listening to audiobooks uh, when I go to to work, 
uh, or I'm going back to um, home or going to the gym. That's mainly the errands I go through uh, because everything you can order online, like say food sure. and stuff like that. And your your favorite audiobook? I would say the best audiobook I have listened to um, was. That's a very difficult question because um, I, I heard a lot of great um, uh, narrators lately. Uh, I would say the narrator for the Hail Project Hail Mary was amazing. And also the narrator for uh, Dune uh, by Frank Herbert was really amazing. Because when I read the book uh, Dune, I wasn't very much into it. It was a bit difficult to read, but when I listened to it uh, through Audible, it was a really nice uh, narration, a really nice way of addressing the story with different voices. If it was a lady or it was uh, a man, they would address it in a different way. And I really enjoyed the, the book. It was a very long book. Uh, and Frank Herbert is considered to be one of the best sci-fi um, authors out there. It's, um, it's an interesting read, I would say. Um, also, the narrator for the Project Hail Mary was fun. He was more into jokes and fun, you know, kind of readings. Uh, I like books with jokes and fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Thanks for your recommendations. Um, I'm definitely going to check them out. Thank you again for joining us. And thank You're you, everyone, welcome. for listening to my interview with Mohammed Al-Bahar. Um, we wish you a great day and we hope to see you back again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. I just want to take a moment to thank Mohammed again for joining me and sharing his insight and wisdom um, that he's gained from living with diabetes for many years. And I really appreciate that he shared that one thing that he's gained is acceptance, self-love, and understanding. I think this is something that everyone is looking for and one of the lessons that we're all learning somehow, somewhere. Um, And it's interesting that diabetes was kind of the vehicle to do that. So thank you again, Mohammed, for sharing all of that. We will put the link for his TEDx video in the show notes, um, as well as all the other places where you can find him. And if you want to learn more about Mohammed, please follow him at the Diabetic Traveler on Instagram. Thank you again. It should go without saying, but I just want to take a moment to remind everyone that anything you hear on this podcast is not here to replace medical advice. You will hear us interview medical experts and many other people that are very knowledgeable about a lot of subjects, but please, please always go ask your qualified doctor, diabetes team, or other expert about your health.